It's a result of work that my co-author and I, Carol Robin, have done partially as consultants and coaches and organizations, change agents, but partially from an iconic special class taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. And uh, it's a class of the students called Touchy Feely. It's about building strong relationships. So we spent four years building this book, which um, in essence um, takes the material from the course and shows how it applies to uh, organizations, to families, and to friends. With that, David uh, Bradford, welcome to the podcast. To our listeners and viewers, um, so today we have with us an amazing guest. So um, very few time we have basically industry leaders or trainers or coach or, or, or mentors who are training one of the best leaders around the world on the very aspect of building exceptional relationship. So if you are here for understanding um, the tenets of what the exceptional relationship mean with context of work and leaders, this would be an interesting conversation. Uh, David, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. So walk to us about um, your journey. Like what brought you to this world of studying and, and reading about uh, relationships? I've always been interested in it. And uh, I was trained as a social psychologist with an emphasis on interpersonal and group dynamics. I also teach leadership courses at Stanford, some of them. And I've always been intrigued, I think, with the amount of waste in organizations when, orga when uh, relationships don't work well. It's uh, been frustrating seeing that, uh, tried to deal with it. So I've really been intrigued with what would it be like if you could have an organization in which people, they're not necessarily friends, but they're good colleagues. We can be honest with each other. We can be direct with each other. And that's really been my life's work as a consultant and as a teacher and now as an author. Uh, wonderful. So, uh, by the way, a, a fascinating name for the book. So, Connect, I think, um, ex Building Exceptional Relationship with Family, Friends and Colleagues. So, it, it, it is pretty mouthful on, um, so if you were um, um, a statistician's hat, a lot of buzzwords that really seek some quantification of what that really means. So I'm, I'm curious to understand from you, what does exceptional relationship really mean from your vantage point? Good. First of all, let me say that relationships are on a continuum. Uh, some are uh, superficial, casual, uh, uh, we become uh, better, stronger, and so on. So uh, what we want to look at is really at the high end of that relation of that continuum. So we see six dimensions as we've studied it. One is, can I really be myself versus having to present an image or spin some sort of picture that's different than how I am? Can I build conditions where you can be yourself and I can get to know you as you are? Can we know that the information we share as we know each other isn't going to be used against us? So we could build trust. Can we be, fourth is, can we be honest with each other? Uh, do you know that um, what I say is what I mean and uh, what I mean is what I'm gonna say? And uh, can we be honest in a way that's um, respectful and not destructive, but it's very direct? Can we uh, handle conflict? 
Conflict is inevitable in any relationship. And not only resolve it, but resolve it in a way that further builds the relationship. We think that's possible. And, and finally, are we committed to each other's growth and development? Now, that's a high standard. And there are, I, we say that if you have four or five relationships like that, you're lucky. But those dimensions apply to robust relationships, strong relationships, good collegial relationships, uh, leader-employee uh, relationships, not to that high a degree, but to a significant degree. And we have a sense of how you can build that. So very interesting. And, and I think um, uh, when you were talking about these dimensions, I was thinking about is there anything like maturity in a relationship? So, like, can you, because um, you have laid out uh, a pretty fascinating six aspects of, of my uh, interaction with either myself or my surrounding and how I'm doing with that. I'm curious from your vantage point, um, is, is there any maturity model that you could build around so-called um, my, my, my ability to make relationships? Uh, in terms of maturity, are you asking? What sort of maturity? Um, well, it would be nice if all of us were highly mature, developed <laughs> uh, people. <laughs> but uh, I don't know about you, but I know that I've got my flaws. I think one of the powerful things about a relationship where there's trust is I don't have to be perfect. If I can hear your response, uh, that's a way in which I can correct myself. So Carol Robin, my co-author and I, have, we have a very strong, I think an exceptional relationship. And when I make mistakes, Carol says, now wait a minute, David, uh, I don't think you really want to do that. Or I'm annoyed that you did that. So in a certain sense, it's, it's both a corrective mechanism, but it's a learning mechanism, because hopefully I don't make that mistake a second time. But if I have to walk around trying to be perfect, I can't be myself because I'm not perfect. And the trouble is most relationships, we can't be honest with each other. So we can't help the other person from shooting themselves in the foot. So I, I'm curious um, if I'm an individual and, I, and uh, I consider myself an exceptional relationship guy, so, or gal, <laughs> so is there, is there any litmus test? Is there any sort of um, a gauge that you can say, Vishal, if there's the, like, if you can blah, blah, and blah, then you are getting there, you're not, you like, I, I'm curious. Yeah, I think, uh, I want to go back to the six dimensions. I think if you say, ooh, uh, so if I say, gee, I've got to be careful what I say to Vishal. Uh, if I say to myself, no, I really can't say that to him. Oh, we've got this issue, but I don't want to deal with it. Uh, or if I say, yeah, I see him hurting himself, but well, uh, I don't really give a damn. Uh, those are sort of signs that this relationship needs some work. Mm. Now, what I'd want to quickly say is you can't build this with everybody in the organization. You want to identify who are the key people. But Vishu, if you were my boss, if you were an important colleague of mine, and I was feeling those things that I had to hold back, and I couldn't be honest with you, that's a sign that I need to do some work on our relationship to make it not necessarily exceptional, 
but one where it, we can be easy with each other. And I think when we find ourselves not easy with the other, then I start to worry. So, um, so relationship has uh, basically, I'm, I don't know if I, uh, so there are two, two sort of um, sides. So one is it's going good, it's going bad, right? So, or, or I don't know if there's a neutral there, but it just hurdle between the two, right? So and it, all the and all the places between. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if it's not going well, it's probably going in a conflict, right? So that's that's one of the primal um, sort of a um, struggle with any relationship. So if 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 it's and and you rightly said, if I, if I don't agree with something or if I'm not not if if I'm worried about saying something to you that I may tip you off. Um, then it's not going well and it may raise to conflict. So help us understand um, the anatomy of conflict from the, from the vantage point of relationship. The context that's important? Well, the organizational con uh, context is, is very crucial. Sort of what are the norms of this organization? Is it one where everybody has to be careful? Uh, it's sort of a highly competitive, quasi-vicious place. Uh, even in those sort of organizations, and I've consulted in those and dealt with those, it's still possible to build these relationships, even though it won't change the culture, unless you're the CEO or the head of a division. But if, if we were working in that sort of situation and our work was highly interdependent, I'd want to go to you and I'd want to say, hey, Bishop, this is, um, this is sort of a difficult place to work. But damn it, we need each other. Can we start to deal with each other in a different way than most people deal with each other? And uh, I'm not going to be naive and say that to everybody. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to point out it's in your best interest as well as mine because we need each other. And hopefully you'll say, yeah, but I'm worried. And I'll say, well, I'm worried too, but let's talk about it. So what I'm going to want to do is pick out those relationships that are really important in getting my job done and being successful and put in the time and effort and take the risk because it's a risk if I go to you because uh, this is we're working in a place that's pretty vicious and, and I trust you, so I'm going to test it out. And as you act more trustworthy, I'm going to act even more trustworthy and hopefully in the middle of this pretty bad place, we've got a pretty good supportive relationship. And by the way, that's going to help me survive because I know if I'm in trouble, I can go to you and I know that you're going to defend me. And boy, I, I need those sort of relationships. And um, so, so, so you are teaching a course, which is highly sought out, uh, very much in demand. And one of the most popular elective program in an MBA program uh, all around. So, so and and Stanford is um, definitely getting in some of the cream of the cream uh, when it comes to the talent or the leaders that are that are that are coming. So when you when you um, as a as a spectator or as a coach or as a mentor uh, run these courses and 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 you look at all these leaders going through the course, I'm curious what are some of the what are some of the um, um, observations that you had uh, about some of the very common fixable issues that these high-performing leaders are going through when it comes to going through the course. I'm curious. 
if you if you have yeah those. it's uh, it's an exciting course it's uh students work in groups of 12 where they look at their relationships uh the students call it touchy-feely but that's not the official name of the course but uh it's pretty descriptive i think there are about three or four things that i see one is our students often walk around with a belief that if i'm to be leader-like powerful sexy interesting i've got to be something other than i am and in the 10 weeks of the course they take the risk of showing more of themselves and they find that their peers say you know what visual when we were in finance together i really thought you were sort of a jerk but now that i really get to know you i really like you i'd want to follow you so one thing is this notion that i've got to present an image the second sort of uh, thing that I see is people see vulnerability as a weakness. And I see it as a strength because taking the risk of letting you know more about myself. Now, I'm not going to share everything because we're in the process of building a relationship, but students take the risk of uh, sharing more and more. It's a sign of strength because I'm saying, I'll let you know me. Yeah, you may say something that hurts, but I'm not going to dissolve in a puddle. That, uh, and also, I think that who I am is worth sharing. I think the third thing is people think they have to sugarcoat what they say. Mm. And um, I think there's ways we raise issues that's very destructive. In the book, we talk about how you can share that where you stick with your reality, that uh, which is really my response to your behavior, that isn't destructive, but it's more honest. So, um, in fact, one of the phrases we use is we, we believe, Carol and I, you can say almost anything to anybody if you stick with your reality. And then we quickly add, if we had two glasses of wine, we'd drop the almost. Because we think you can't say anything to anybody, but we're academics, so we cover ourselves. If you stick with your reality, and what I mean by that is, and this is what students learn their reality, which is, here's how I feel when you act a certain way. I don't have to make assumptions about your character, your motives. All I know is, I feel closer to you, Vishal, when you say this. I feel more distant. I feel more trusting. I feel less trusting when you do X. And, and that's my reality. And uh, since I'm assuming most people don't purposely want to be nasty, uh, if, the, if you find you're having a negative impact, I think you're going to listen. And then we can sit down and talk about it. So I think those are the three things. Can I be myself? Am I willing to share myself and even be vulnerable? And can I learn to be honest? Oh, let me add a fourth. Most people see uh, conflict as a sign of failure. So I'm going to use an image. If you're driving to work and your wheels are a little wobbly and the motor is uh, sort of clunking and the uh, steering's a little loose, you don't say bad car, bad car. You get it fixed. Yeah. Well, conflict is a sign that we'd have to fix something. And if you see it that way, then it's something I want to lean into because it's getting in the way of us having a good relationship. So I think those are the four key things I think our students learn a lot. 
and and you used a very interesting word reality i think reality itself is uh, is um and, and then you say it's uh, my reality right so we all know that uh, there there are multiple realities going on um it's my reality and probably it's 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 the other side of the reality and maybe there's a neutral reality if the if uh, so i i i'm curious how so when i'm the one involved and and i am the one who's stuck in this mindset of because obviously i am never wrong i am always right <laughs> my reality all so when you have all these things going on for you how, how do you ensure the bias and like how do you ensure you are actually getting access to the real reality i'm curious yeah that's that's wonderful it's a great thing and you're right there are there are uh, different ways we see the world um when we talk interpersonally we say there are three realities that are relevant so when you and i are dealing with each other uh, one reality is my motives and intentions only i know that so um and that leads me to act in certain ways my words my uh, nonverbals my gestures my tone things like that that reality both of us see the third reality is the impact of my behavior on you i don't know that so i intend to be clear now i'm using certain words and nonverbals i don't know if i'm clear now you're nodding when i talk to you but maybe you're just polite maybe uh maybe i'm not clear so i need to know that and what we say is if you stick with behavior and if you stick with the impact of that behavior on you it's indisputable mm. so if you say to me david you tend to talk too long and i tend to lose interest that's that's your reality i can't say no you don't because i don't know what's going on inside of you and if we stick with those realities we then can find a lot in common and i can say wow what am i doing that's getting in the way what is my behavior and what we're talking about is behavior and managers deal with behavior managers think they deal with personality nah therapists deal with personality we deal with behavior and we have control over our behavior so if i'm acting in a certain way that's annoying you i need to know that and at stanford we say feedback is a gift because unless i know the impact of my behavior i can't improve so uh yes beautiful report so um so one thing i was thinking about so um and 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 i have this weird habit so whenever i go in conversation i tend to take the hostile side many times just to just to see the other side of the situation right so i think um, we have seen lot of political divide right in in, in the mm-hmm. country and we are seeing lot of passion a lot of belief system being challenged right when it comes to what's happening what's not happening so if you are the one who is stuck uh, in 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 the mindset and i think it's and what i have observed personally so if suppose i am going in a in say a particular uh, group with a, a particular ideology and i become like an anti that and i try to ed- portray so i can see the other side how much i am riling that crowd and how much uh, it is those guys are vulnerable when it comes to um because 
their belief system is questioned uh, and by this random guy or or gal that they are they are just having this this interesting conversation with so i wonder like so you talk about reality you talk about being sane when it comes to understanding your perspective and your impact on someone else uh, about your perspective when our brain is not incentivizing us uh, to having that that rational thought how to how to encourage that i'm i'm curious like did you get a, did you ever ever thought about we all are tagged to our belief system our our foundation uh, what we think that's why most of us are right whenever whatever we do right and then it takes us an additional effort to say no 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 maybe there is another perspective that i should and that makes you a very good coachable candidate so i'm curious is there any hack or is there any quick snappy suggestion that you have if i'm the one coming in with a passion that i should uh, somehow be open to being questioned well i i uh, that that is the dilemma we're in um and i think the trouble is we immediately demonize the other person write them off as not intelligent or not ethical or all sorts of horrible things and we uh, stop being at all curious and um we i think the first thing is well, let's talk politically uh, about politics is that i think we need to give up trying to convince the other person that's that's one of our traps hmm. instead i want to try to understand the other person and to understand them is important because that can lead me to then want to deal with them in a different way so when i hear people say well i don't understand how somebody can vote for that person what's the problem why don't you understand you may not agree with them so there's a difference between agreeing and understanding and i think the important parallel let's think of the ultimate in conflict which is a war situation each side in a war spends a lot of effort in intelligence to try to understand the other they don't agree with them but they want to understand them and i think that we need to understand the other and maybe in that understanding we can find some areas of agreement i i think one of the uh, interesting things is that let's take climate control basic difference it turns out there's is agreement that there is climate change where there's disagreement is a cause of it well if we i can if i can really understand you maybe we can find those areas of agreement and then we can do something with it i think that's that's fair so so if if you're a leader today right and and um, how you can build up that bone and i think you you raise a very interesting point that we should stop convincing like we should stop we should give up convincing others and we should try to understand ourselves and i think that i totally agree with you that the answer is at least you can fix yourself and then that's that's the that's the first and foremost so when you are a leader uh, in that in that perspective so on so if we take this problem on on a corporate end okay so um over last couple of months we spoke to a lot of hr about what is one thing that they are seeing over last one year almost everyone said that we never realized how much our employees are suffering 
when it comes to mental health it was never something that we knew we have to deal with and the volume of situation we can be empathetic to everyone it's very very hard when everyone is yelling at you um how to how to be <laughs> like how to be how to be patient and how to decipher that information properly so i i wonder like so when you talk about and and and, and i think you talked about that uh, there's an intimacy involved when it come to exceptional relationship so when you when there's a one to many relationship uh, with say this company and its worker i wonder what role does a company play to create exceptional relationship with its employees well i think um that's too high a bar uh i i would shoot for the work i do is can i build strong robust open honest relationships uh that for me is a standard i would shoot for it may be that with one or two of your workers it'll reach exceptional but i don't want to hold that as a goal because building exceptional relationships takes a lot of work and uh we don't have time for that in organizations with all the relationships that are important i think that um we were talking about understanding yourself is important but i think it's also important to understand the other and um a colleague of mine has a phrase he said too many leaders use hippopotamus leadership you know hippopotamus big mouth small mm. ears mm. and um god gave us two ears and one mouth and we ought to use it in that proportion mm. most leaders don't listen don't try to understand so a worker is unhappy and we start to blame the worker rather than trying to say i wonder what's going on can i really understand why this for example female employee i have is so upset and maybe i need to learn that she's taking care of sick parents and maybe i need to learn that um she's got a sick child or something like that or he does as well it's not that i have to lower standards but we do treat people differently in the short term depending on their condition and they want you to treat treat you differently so i think that uh the whole effort of understanding so let me give an, one example. I know one CEO, he does the performance appraisal with each of his VPs. And I said, uh, well, R Raymond, uh, how do you do that? He said, with each one, I go away for a day. This is in this is Silicon Valley. We, we go down to Carmel. We walk on the beach. I ask about the family, ask what's going on. I, we uh, then have a meal together. I ask about his career plans. What what excites him? What doesn't? And I said that's an, takes a lot of time. He said there's no better use of time because I'm both understanding them and I'm conveying that I'm concerned with them. He said it builds commitment, it builds openness, builds trust, and you can't do it with everybody. But he's talking about his six key VPs. He said it's worth it and and again what i'm talking about is who are the key people in your work world do you know them do you have a relationship where they'll be honest with you where they'll say hey 
you know, you're doing something that's bending me out of shape. And can you hear that and not get defensive? That's what we're talking about, those sort of relationships. And those are strong relationships, robust ones, but they're not necessarily exceptional. And um, what role does bias play in 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 building these relationships? I, I, I'm like, so is it is it a support system? Is it a hinderer? Or how to handle biases when it comes to building exceptional or or at least relationship that's uh, or re reasonable relationships? Well, biases come in in terms of um, uh, ethnicity, uh, race, uh, class. Uh, gender, and so on. Uh, hopefully, we do work on uh, knowing ourselves, and too few of us do that enough. But also, can I build relationships where that can get talked about? So let me share actually a conversation I had yesterday with a um, executive who's African-American. And um, Bernard was saying, you know, it's really frustrating when I deal with whites. He said, they're so careful. They're so worried about what they're doing. You know, it's, it's, it's so exhausting. Um, what am I going to do? And I said, well, it turns out you already have the answer in your question. Could you point out that elephant in the room? Could you share how it's impacting you? Could you talk about what you want? He says, yeah, I said I could. So could he say, hey, you know, I'm seeing this in our interaction. I'm finding it frustrating. My guess is you're worried that you'll make a slip and I'll call you racist. I'm not going to do that. But could we have a more open discussion? Now, in that process, uh, maybe he'll build a relationship where he'll do something inadvertently that does show some bias. I think all of us are biased. If we can accept that, then maybe he's got a person who will say, well, you know what? When you made that comment, I felt bent out of shape. That's a different response than you made that comment and you're racist. That's what we're afraid of. But if we can, if we can assume that all of us are flawed and we want to improve, and we cannot label other people. We can learn about our biases. We can all, but what it requires is building conditions where we can talk about this. And I think we can talk about this. So I think that's a that's a that's a beautiful um, point you are making about um, African American talking about whites. I think one other thing that that even so, I was talking to someone um, um, who is a who is a um, basically um, a spiritual leader uh, and and he was and we were talking about and he was talking about the struggle that the world is seeing today and his point his vantage point was if we say if we go 40 50 years back there were villages we were all confined to our villages we knew everyone in the village there was a good converse like we can have sort of some relationships right but now world is a lot more global right every time we i met someone i don't know their heritage and then I don't know about the culture and, and, and everyone is carrying a lot of cultural baggage with them when it comes to where, what, yep. what, what represents them. what And sometimes they, they are to defend it, some are there to So when, when you are walking on, on those thin lines, 
where I, I'm, like I'm a diverse candidate as well. I see some of these things as well. That many times you don't want the other side to be uncomfortable about getting this so much politically. They they burn themselves so much of uh, of this worry of offending someone. Many times they can't even have some some common dialogues. So what what is the resolve from your from your vantage point? I think you have just given the answer. And let me say what I was hearing you say. You are sitting here with a concern. Gee, uh, I don't want to do anything that offends the other person or makes them feel that they're um, um, treated like an object. Uh, and I'd like to have a, a more relaxed uh, uh, interaction with them. Would you say that to the person? The other thing to do, um, let's assume we were working together. Now, I don't know you, Michelle, but I'm guessing you may be from India. Am yes. I right? That's correct. Okay. Um, I think one of the first things I'd want to do is I'd want to get to know you. I'd want to say, gee, what's it like um, being here? Uh, how is it different? Um Gee, this is what my upbringing was. I wonder what yours is. And my guess is that if I really am doing this because I want to know and I want to know you, I just don't want to know about India. I want to know you as an Indian. Hmm. We're starting to build a relationship. And I can then say, um, well, here's been my experience. I think what I want to say is, um, if you experience me as doing something that feels a little off, Bishop, will you tell me? Now, I think I can have that conversation with you. And my guess is you'd welcome that. And I think we're starting to build a relationship. I think that's a beautiful report. And I, I, I couldn't agree more that uh, being upfront many times is the answer uh, and and it just it just it just un unravel and it just takes a lot of steam away and you can just have a good yep. pure relationship i think it's beautifully put so let's let's talk about um um the evil twin in this equation the the conflict right so uh, yep. when everything is beautiful everything is happy no one cares like it, it, it's, it's an op <laughs> it's an open it's an open shut case well, well, wait a minute. Somebody once said the only place where there's no conflict is a graveyard. So uh, let's talk so, about reality. <laughs> so, um, uh, so when we talk about conflict, right? So I, I'm curious. Like, one, what is a from your vantage point? What is a conflict? A conflict can be we can disagree on task. That's often an easier sort of disagreement to have. What's harder is when we disagree on behavior, uh, where let's, um, let's assume you're my boss and you're uh, treating me in a certain way and I'm bothered about it, or you're treating another employee and I'm concerned about it. Um, or I, I, I may not be personally affected, but I see something that is bothering me. The, the difficulty there is we start to make up stories about the sort of person you are. And when we make up stories, we 
move into the world of fantasy because I don't know how you are. And it's back to the three realities I talked about. So let's say that you're my boss. You've uh, given me assignment. Then you've changed the assignment at the last minute. And, and then you start to become unhappy because I'm a day late. Okay, I've got some feelings about this. Now, rather than labeling you as a irresponsible, unorganized, <laughs> what other labels should we put on? It's easy to put on. Could I go to you and I could say, hey, Vishal, something's getting in the way of our working together and it's getting in the way of my productivity and it's probably frustrating to you. Can, can we talk about it? And my guess is you're going to say yes. Most bosses would. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the behaviors. You gave me this assignment, and then I was most of the way through it, and you changed it. And you're immediately going to say, well, yeah, I, I got new pressure from my, my boss. And then I had, and I'm going to say, and then it, it took me extra time, and I, my sense was you were annoyed at me that I was late. And I said, and I, then I would say, um, I understand you're under pressure from your boss, but this makes it really hard for me. Is there a way we can work this out in the future so that you don't get annoyed, you get what you want, and I don't feel that I've wasted my time? So in, here's a conflict that would have been easy for me to put all sorts of labels on you, would have distanced us, uh, would have made me annoyed at you and you annoyed at me. When we can just talk about it, if we focus on the facts of the behavior and the impact on me, to say I felt frustrated, I felt frustrated because I, I think I wasted time and time is so scarce. Um, and uh, I want to do it. I want us to be better. See, you always want to hold out the desired future. The car ain't running well, but I want a well-running car, so I'm going to do some work on it. So, so um, you talked about reality, right? So, one thing that I was thinking about when it comes to conflict is: so, if we if we imagine, say, again, uh, 60, 70, 80 years back we all in our respective villages um there was there was a at least uh, in india or at least anywhere in asia i've heard uh, this thing a lot there's a, there's an idea of um village elders right so so there is there is sort of a, a wise man or or a community of wise individuals they they become like an independent arbitrage when it comes to understanding the reality right so is it your reality and the other person's reality and then which reality is more vulnerable or or looks more which one can can sort of compromise or when it comes to sort of understanding so so many of these relationships are as good as the first major conflicts they see many times so when when you are observing or when you are the one on the driving seat of of those conversation how important do you think is the role of say independent arbitrator or, or in, like the, the third third reality or um, however you look at it I'm, I'm curious to know your point of view well you see uh what i think it is is in, in I, i'm going to try to cut this a little differently 
I think it's what is it that I want to know? And what we often don't get at is what is the personal impact of a behavior on you? How do you feel? See, emotions are crucial in relationships because emotions tell a lot about me. Am I uh, a little bothered, a little bothered, bothered, annoyed, upset, angry, uh, pissed as hell? Uh, different degrees of emotion say different things about David. Also, emotions uh, tell, so it tells what's important about you. So if we're in a dispute and you were, you're my boss and you're really upset that I'm a day late, I'd want to know why. What's, what's going on with you? And why is that so important? And it may be that you'll say, well, I've got a boss who's on my neck all the time. And if I don't deliver when I say I'm going to, I'm in deep trouble. That's my world. That's my reality. Oh, I say, I didn't know that. Now that I know that, now that I know that it's really important to you, we can now do something about it. Gee, boss, I don't want to get you in trouble. But I don't want to get in trouble myself. What can we do? So part of understanding different realities is understanding what's going on with the other person? How are they feeling? What are they concerned about? So I told the story about the executive who went off for a day with each of his VPs. He was trying to understand their world. What pressures are they under? What are they worried about? What do they want? What are they afraid of? Now, we don't need to know that about everybody. But I sure want to know that about my boss. And hopefully my boss wants to know that about me. And I want to know that about a crucial colleague who I'm interdependent with. And I need to know that he's under a lot of stress. And I need to take that into account. See, that's when we talk about realities. We often don't know the world of the other, and we don't want, we don't put much effort into understanding. And this has really been a problem with the pandemic because it's often that information we picked up at the office over the water cooler or at lunch or dropping by somebody's office. And we need to put in extra effort to understand with those crucial relationships, what's going on with them. So interesting. So um, when you deal with students uh, who are again, exceptional leaders, um, Understanding. Well, they, they, they think that they 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 want to be. They want to <laughs> be. Aren't there yet? So so want want to be exceptional leaders, and and they are trying to understand um, the aspect of relationships. So when you are looking at them, so would you expect um, at least this class um, students to be on the driving seat when it comes to handling their relationship, or do you expect them to? It's okay to get help. Well, I think more and more people are getting help. Uh, having a coach is not a sign of failure. There's many leaders who say, uh, look, this job is so complex. Uh, I need whatever help I can get. So I think they're more willing to ask for help than maybe the previous generation was. And I think that's a good sign. 
because our world is increasingly complex. And you were talking about it being multicultural um, and so on. Uh, I need I need all sorts of help to handle this complex world. And maybe I can get help from sometimes from a coach, but maybe I can get it from the relationships I have. And and still, if, if we consider last year, things have transformed. Uh, even I'm, I'm hoping with your students as well that they are more online than actually having this water cooler conversation and very personalized. And we are very social individuals, so we seeing you personally would create a lot more chemical impact than seeing you on a Zoom call. So when you are, how has that how has that impacted your ability? to either observe um, these these individuals in their habitat, um, gain, like learning these ex, uh, exceptional re- relationship traits. I'm curious, like how has, what are some of the things you picked by seeing that these uh, students go virtual and still trying to uh, go through the course? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually no longer teaching the course, uh, but we do teach it, and we teach it virtually. Uh, we have to do it with a smaller size group. Uh, part of it is, I, I think all of us are, exa- we talk about Zoom exhaustion, and, and part of it is we have to work so much harder on Zoom to pick up the nonverbal cues, to pick up the tone. It's exhausting. and. Um, and and our tendency then is to get a little bit lazy. And the trouble is we, we do need to put in that extra effort. But we also may need to do some different things. So let me tell you a story that's happening in Silicon Valley. Um, I have a colleague who said, well, gee, the good thing about Zoom is I cut to the chase. And I thought to myself, yeah, but what do you cut out? And I think what you cut out is crucial which is the human aspect. So I know Silicon Valley CEOs where they have their staff meeting, all of it's by Zoom, and they start the staff meeting with each person having 90 seconds to answer the que- this question multiple times. If you really knew me today, I would answer that. If you knew me today, After this talk, I'm going to the gym, which is opening up for the first time, and I'm excited about it. If you knew me today, I just got an email from my son, who is just taking on a new project at Microsoft. I'm really excited. If you really knew me today, you'd know that I'm uh, really happy because the book is selling well, and it's being translated into other uh, uh, languages. Well, Well, that took about 45 seconds. But Vishio, you knew David a little better because of that. Mm. And what the executive does is he has everybody, including himself, spend 90 seconds. So it's 10 minutes of their meeting time. And he's found that it's brought back the personal connections that they had when they could be face-to-face. So I think we need to take extra effort. We need to work extra hard when we are uh, this way. We also need to know we don't send difficult issues through email. We use the phone or we use Zoom, or now hopefully it'll do it face-to-face because we need all of the senses we can 
and Zoom has made that difficult, and the pandemic has made it difficult. That's that's interesting. So, um, so I'm 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 curious um, if we talk about say culture of an organization. I, I'm curious. Did you ever have you ever given it a thought that if a culture so as per uh, governments companies can be human right so companies are human and they, from the legal point of view so I, i'm curious that um, did you ever think about a company that is an exceptional relationship builder or, or or creator like are these are these techniques scalable to the level where the, a, a company could uh, transform its relationship with anyone it touches I'm curious. Yeah, I, uh, we've actually been doing some exciting work with some companies. Um, so, as I said, one of the valuable things about a strong, robust, exceptional relationship is that I learn about myself because you'll tell me things uh, that I do well, that annoy you, that may be dysfunctional for me. And when you think about it in organizations, People walk around with an incredible amount of knowledge about each other. You know what your colleagues are doing that's hurting them, that's shooting in the foot, that's limiting them. You have this information, and it's not shared. It's rarely shared. Or if it's shared, it's shared in anger, and then it's hard to hear. So what we've done is we've said we want to build what we call a feedback-positive organization and we go into an organization and we train people on how to give behavioral feedback that is it's on behavior not on the other's motives and three times a year starting with a top team they go off-site for a day and they do their homework i've done their homework in the morning they say they talk what do we do well as a team and how could we improve in the afternoon, they start with a leader, and everybody has written down, here are two or three things you do well. Got to be behaviors. And here are two or three things where I think you limit yourself. And this is shared. Now, the leader has to be willing to hear this, and many leaders aren't, but those that aren't. And then the leader hears that, and that's seen as information. You can do with it what you want. And then it goes around the group, and then uh, Joan wants to be the next person, and she hears that feedback from their peers. And then it cascades down the, the organization. So each VP does it with his or her team. And then the division manager does it with his or her team, all down the organization. Now, this may seem like an expensive use of time, and it is expensive use of time, because each person is um, each person, except for the leader or the one furthest down, is uh, doing in two groups. That's two days worth. But what they found was that turnover dropped dramatically because this was an organization that now was committed to everybody's development. Problems got surfaced earlier. Work got done more efficiently. The number of people who applied to join this company went up because this was seen as a great place to work. So this was a process that changed the culture of the organization. 
Now, there's we've tried this where it hasn't worked. And where it hasn't worked is where the leader gives lip service to it, but isn't really committed. But if they are committed, if you can have the notion that, yes, other people have information that would make me a better leader. See, in a certain sense, we do performance appraisals the wrong way. Who best knows how you lead? It's not your boss. It's your direct reports. And this isn't a performance appraisal. We separate that from performance appraisal. But this is a way in which we build greater openness, honesty, caring for each other, and that changes the culture of the organization. So, so I'm I'm curious about one thing, and 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 I'd love to have your opinion on this. So, when I was reading about this course, right? So, I was mesmerized with what what you guys are trying to do, right? It's it it is something we all need. It is something essential. The demand itself speaks of the need for something like this to exist. Did you ever uh, think um, in your journey, can you scale it beyond the class? Because right now there are outlets, there are online outlets, there are a lot of other outlets that exist that you could scale this ability. Because if it, if, it, if you look at, say, um, the time that we're living in today, right? What you're saying is fundamentally one of the solution to what we are seeing today. When it comes to there's too much passion going around and there's a lot, lot of, lot of basically tribalism going on and where I, I'm very passionate about my causes and, and your causes are not that, that good. And when you have all those things going around, did you ever thought, thought about like, can you scale these programs to the point where a lot more people have, could have access to something like this? Uh, well, we're thinking of setting up, <clears throat> in fact, my co-author is actually setting up a training program for uh, Silicon Valley uh, entrepreneurs and, and CEOs and so on, and is getting tremendous interest in terms of many more applicants and spots. But what you're talking about, Michelle, uh, is the dream we have for the book. Hmm. Uh, we wrote the book because we got a, I got a call five years ago from an editor at Penguin Random House in London. And he said, uh, just what you said. He said, mm. not many people can go to Stanford. Why aren't you gonna pass this onto the world? Mm. And our goal was, could we write a book that could have an impact? Now, easier said than done, because the power of the course is in the feedback students give each other. Mm. So we struggled for four years in how to do this. Yes, we could describe the concepts, we could describe behavioral feedback, we could describe being curious, we could describe uh, all sorts of things. But what we did is we said to the reader in chapter one, we said, read this actively, not passively. So when you read the case studies, put yourself into that person's role. Well, that helps a little bit. Mm. And in chapter two, we said, Identify four relationships you want to deepen. And then in chapter 3 through 17, we have a deepen your learning section where we say, here is the core concept. Now apply it. So chapter 3 is about letting yourself be known. So the assignment is pick one of those four relationships and share something that is relevant to the relationship 
that you haven't shared about yourself. Go and do it. So we want the reader to do that. And, and our dream, our dream is to change the world, to be honest. And we think that if people apply this material and set up their own learning settings, it'll happen. And we're hearing that's happening. Mm. That people are saying, I am applying it. It's changed my work relationship. I'm having dinner next week with a person who gave this book to his father. His father read it and it changed their relationship. And that's what we want. We want families to be stronger. We want friends to be stronger. We want organizations to be stronger. So we want the world to buy the book. If I can start to publicize it. And not only that, we want you to buy multiple copies. One copy for yourself and one for every relationship you want to develop. Uh, fair point. So on the book, who is the ideal reader you, you, you wrote this book for? Probably between the ages of 22 on. Maybe at some point, although given my age, I don't want to give up that one can't still learn. Um, the book is written for somebody who wants to build a stronger relationship. And we think that's everybody. We think this book is for, it's for a manager who wants to build it with uh, his or her direct reports, uh, an employee who wants to build it with uh, their colleagues or their boss. Uh, it's for the husband or wife who wants a stronger relationship or friend. So I had a friend who was reading the book and he said, this is intriguing. What could we do about it? And I said, Tom, well, you know, we could talk more personally and we don't talk that personally. Let's change the relationship. So it's for anybody who is willing to take the risk of trying to build a better relationship. So one, one honest feedback. So, so I ordered this book for my wife and she get offended. <laughs> well, now, now here's an interesting thing. That's a wonderful learning opportunity. Did you ask her why? And yes, what did she say? She, she said, do you think I'm the problem? So I said, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it, so I, I'll read it and you'll read it. It's, it's an interesting point of view. I, I, so, <laughs> so, okay. So you got into inquiry, which is wonderful. And she said, so she made an attribution. You thought I'm the problem and you corrected it and hopefully said, I, I missed the last part. Did you say we want a better, re I want a better yeah, relationship? Yeah. So, so, so I said, it's, uh, I, I love it. I, I want to, so I, I'm, I'm reading it and maybe you, uh, we can read it. Maybe you can read it too. So it, it'll help. Nothing is, is give you a point of view. So uh -huh. and I just slide it out. But, but yeah, it's, just, it, it's, so, it's, so it's, she a very, made, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> that's right. So maybe next time when you give it to a friend, you'll say, I'm really learning from this and want to use this so that I can be a better friend. You, you may find this interesting, but you're really owning it that it's what you want to do, not that yeah. they're the problem. 
that's that's a that's a that's a good uh, i agree i agree i think that's a good yeah. point so uh, uh, thank you i think this is this is this is wonderful so now let's move to the next segment of of the podcast we call it rapid fire and and thank you for for helping us decipher the the world of relationship and conflicts and it's i i do appreciate whatever you're doing so in the rapid fire um i usher something and just tell me whatever comes to your mind okay so we know how the rapid fire works and and if you want to emphasize more feel free but i think so okay so good let's, let's do that sounds like fun so social media i worry about it i'm concerned about it and i think uh what happens is it, it activates people's desire to present an image uh, and we use the example that uh on facebook i may show me and my family in front of the eiffel tower smiling but i don't share that the trip was a disaster and it uh it may de- it, it, and then we start to compare ourselves and say well everybody else looks happier than i am mm. and when we get this sort of fakiness that goes on uh, everybody loses eq eq is crucial eq uh is becoming even more important as work becomes interdependent becomes more diffuse it's less objective it's uh we just don't turn out widgets we uh have to work out problems by the way i think that the course that we teach at stanford is the best way to learn eq mm-hmm. because a crucial dimension of eq mm-hmm. is being in touch with your feelings and using them appropriately and uh we think that the book will help with eq so fully in support of the centrality of eq in the, this world on that note iq iq uh we overemphasize iq um it's not the smartest person it's the person who's able to um build connections with others so when i uh, lecture executives and i say you may be smarter than any one member of your team but are you smarter than all of them collectively and if you are you're either kidding yourself mm. or you've hired the wrong people mm. um iq is not to show how smart i am uh and this is where we go back to eq eq is building relationships where everybody's knowledge can be brought out growth what growth growth i think growth is uh, central to life um i have a wonderful image that i hold years ago i went to a um show at the um boston museum of art of uh renoir's paintings and apparently renoir lived to his 80s and the last words as he was dying was ah that's the way to do it and i've loved that because he now had a new growth idea of how he wanted to paint and you knew if he lived two more years he would have ended his life that way again so i want to end my life always learning always growing and if i come back again one of the best ways to grow is to have a relationship which says hey david you're limiting yourself why are you doing that i may not want to hear that immediately but that's uh, impetus to grow fair point um culture culture is everywhere 
Culture is multitude. Organizations are a culture. You're bringing your culture from India. You're trying to integrate that with the culture in this country and in the sort of work you do. Culture is the water around us that we often don't notice as the fish doesn't know water. But culture is something that influences us. It doesn't determine us. If we're aware of cultural impact, then we can have more control over how it impacts us. Mental health. Uh, <laughs> I wish we all had more of it. Um, I think that's a problem today. Um, I think the good news is we're starting to recognize this as not a stigma. But like, if I get the flu, I'm not a bad person because I have the flu. It's a condition I have, and can I get some help? And I think that the ability to ask for help is important. I've been in therapy. Therapy has been one of the best educational things that I have learned. Um, so that we're concerned about mental health, I think, is a positive sign in our culture. Um, conflict. Conflict? I think we talked a little bit about that. Conflict is inevitable. Conflict is a side we, sign we need to work. Conflict is not a sign that you're bad or I'm bad or the relationship is bad. It's a wake-up call. And the worst thing we can do is to sweep it under the rug because then it grows and molds and festers and becomes even worse. Leadership. Leadership is an act of behaviors. It's not a, necessarily a position. And I've actually written a book which talks about shared leadership. And I think good leaders build conditions where everybody feels like a leader in that team. If we define leadership actions as taking initiative, holding the larger viewpoint, wanting to improve things, we all could be leaders, whether we have that title or not. Future of relationships. I'm sorry? Future of relationships. I think we're going to find them becoming even more central because um, we're hopefully moving to an economic world where we don't have to devote 80 hours a day just to get food on the table. And we're going to have some more free time. And I'm hoping that we turn that into looking at our relationships. I'm doing a paper now which is asking the question, how can children in their late 20s and their parents in their 50s change their relationship from parent-child to one that's more adult-adult? I think the relationships change with time. I've been married 56 years, and the relationship has changed dramatically over the years. It's part of growth we talked about before. And I think we're going to be focusing more and more on having healthy, meaningful relationships. Um, connection. Connection. Connection is the essence. We, one of the uh, things that we're now finding is that people who don't have connections are more likely to be sick physically, to be depressed, to have mental health problems, and to die earlier. 
as a species, mm. we need to connect. We need to connect not just because I need somebody to help me fix the fence. We need to connect as human beings. And what I'm hoping is that our book helps people build those sort of connections. Um, thank you for playing that. Now, we are last few minutes um, on the segment, we want to focus on your journey, uh, your personal mm. life. So we ask all of our guests to share some of the quality traits that has helped them become what they have become. So what are some of, some of your qualities that has really shaped you the way you are today? I think, I, I think a concern for growth. And I think seeing, um, well, let me put it this way. I've had more than one executive who said, I've never failed. I've only had learning experiences. Hmm. And I think that I, one of the things I feel good about myself is I've taken failures and turned them into growth. So my title at Stanford is I'm a senior lecturer. I'm not a professor. I didn't get tenure. It would have been easy for me to have gone to second or third rate university and been a professor. But I said to myself, I failed here. What could I learn from it? And that's when I decided to go into therapy and discovered what I had done, which had partially caused that decision. Uh, and I remade my life in a way that has allowed me to be much more productive than if I would have denied that failure and gone to another university and tried to be a professor. So I, I think, um, I, I know when I um, give a talk or teach a class that doesn't go well, I first beat myself up. I say, oh, you dumbs, blah, 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 blah. And then I go to the office and I open the computer and I say, what did I learn from this? What am I going to do next time? And I think that's, that's helped me. Thank you for sharing that. So uh, we ask all of our guests to share some of their favorite reads, some of the books that has influenced them, some of the books that they are reading. So I wonder if you have some books that you can share. Well, I think what ties in with this, it ties in with the question you had connection. I think that the book Together is a profound book. This is a book, um, um, forgotten his name, um, he, he's Indian, and he was a Surgeon General under Obama. And when he took over as a Surgeon General, he thought that obesity and the opiate crisis was the major problem. And as he did research and studied, he found that it was loneliness in America. I think we're a lonely culture. We have superficial Facebook connections, but we're lonely. And that's a book which talks about the cost of loneliness and different uh, ways that people have tried to deal with it. So, so that's, that's been an important book. Um, but I think that's the one that is most recently I, I've found um, most impactful. Awesome. So um, as, a, um, as a closing remark, uh, and last but not the least, so if you 
want um, our listeners and viewers to take away something from this conversation, what would that be? Like, what would be your closing remark? What I would say, I'm going to link two things. I'm going to stress the importance of taking risks. Uh, too often, people play it safe. But what I'm really going to stress is that we have choices. So many people don't think they have choices. Everything we do is a choice. So when our students say, I can't, we say, no, no, no. Can't technically refers to something physical, like I can't jump out of the second story window and survive. But we often say, well, well I, I can't do that. No, it's a choice not to do it. I, th I think another book which I would talk about is uh, Carol Dweck's uh, Mindfulness. Hmm. Um, and she has something which is very important. She says, when you say that you can't do something, add the word yet. I can't do X yet. Hmm. Because that implies that at some point I may do something about it. But I, I think the notion of, I get very bothered when people say I can't. And I'd rather they say, I choose not to. Now, that's okay. We don't have to do everything. But we need to take responsibility that our life is a series of choices. And are we making the choices that we want to make? Um, with that, um, David, thank you so much for, for, for spending time with us, helping us understand. Um, and I could not thank you enough for this book. I think um, I totally agree with you. When I was listening about this course, I uh, I imagine that the the book is your uh, basically your insights and your understanding and your findings wrapped in a book for for us to chew on, and whenever uh, I think one of the one of the refreshing thought is whenever we hear about so there's a lot of books around conflicts, so th that just tells you about okay this is this has happened now do what or there these are the ways to handle this where things have already messed up, but I think there are very few books which and. It basically questions the the very aspect or the or the fundamental aspect of creating um, those whether it's a conflict situation or whether it's a it's it's a beautiful relationship situation, and and thank you for deciphering it for us. And I do appreciate any and every effort you and Carol is doing to to spread this 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 idea of being ex creating exceptional relationship, which is such a core fundamental need for today's time. And I, I do thank you for every effort that you're doing there. Well, thank you. Uh, you have uh, captured what we wanted the book to do. And uh, we hope that other people capture it as well as you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.